The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Good morning, Refuge. I have a little treat for you today. We are going through the whole chapter of John 11, the entirety of it. And so, yeah, yeah, we're digging in. And so instead of you, listen to me, read the whole chapter and then preach on the whole chapter, Julia is going to read John 11 for you and then I will preach on it. Okay, you all ready? Let's go. Um, Chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he who you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will, not, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go, also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Now when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep, to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover over the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so they might arrest him. Thank you. May God add his blessing to the word as we listen to it, we will understand it. Um, Often in our life, it is very hard to understand what God is doing. Just this morning, reading the news, um, I pulled up Google News and you just get a smattering of news from around the world. This was the first four headlines. 29 injured in an explosion in Manhattan. 17 Indian soldiers killed by militants in Kashmir. Syria ceasefire under threat. Man stabs eight at Minnesota Mall before cops kill him. First four news headlines. And we know that that isn't necessarily a representation of all that's going on. There are beautiful, beautiful things happening in the world simultaneously with those things that are tragic and very hard to understand. But in those headlines which, which capture uh, our interest, um, 
It doesn't represent the things that are going on personally in our lives, the things happening at home, in your family, at work. Um, Sometimes what we see in the world seems like it is in direct conflict with the idea of a loving, gracious, and good God. We want individual answers for, for every challenge we are faced with, um, whether that's something that is big and national or international that we don't understand, or something that happens really personal. What I think makes this even harder to understand is that we don't always realize who God is and how God works. Instead of knowing who he is and how he works, we oftentimes picture him more like a superhero who, in the nick of time, will show up to save the day. Um, So where is God in the nick of time to save the day when a lot of us really live in ignorance of God, right? Ignorance of how he works and his ways. And then, then when something happens and he doesn't seem to be present, where is he and what is he doing? I think one of the, <clears throat> the difficulties is that we ourselves have lost contact with the context Um, we have lost track of what's most important. And yet we think we have a grasp on it when our hearts hurt really badly or when our minds all of a sudden ask for answers to the questions that we have. What is of first importance and first priority, this is a big idea for today, the first priority is God's glory. The first priority is God's glory. But how is that an answer? How is that an answer for these situations I just talked about. And, and maybe you, even when you hear about what's going on in the world, you, you can't even let that in because what's going on personally is so intense in your heart right now. So how is God's glory being of first importance an answer to what is going on? The big questions, where is God a loving God when I hurt so badly? And that is what we're tackling today. So 15 minutes, you should have all your answers, okay? Um, <laughs> no, this story, though, really is a, a context for you to live within to maybe understand a little bit of what God is doing, specifically who he is and how he acts. The context that we're given in this story in John 11, 1 through 57 is this. Jesus has just escaped himself capture. So when we left off two weeks ago in John 10, um, the Jews had just tried to kill Jesus and Jesus escaped with his disciples somewhere else. And so they've been elsewhere kind of getting rest and reprieve from that trauma in their life. And, and in that context of resting disciples, escaping Jesus getting put to death. He receives uh, a verbal uh, message from someone saying, your best friend is sick. How do I know that this is Jesus' best friend? Well, maybe not like best friend, best friend, but, but we know that this is one of Jesus' best friends because it says, it says uh, here in verse 3, Lord, the one you love is sick. And, and Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, play throughout so many stories uh, in the narratives of the Gospels. And so we know that these are people that Jesus 
not just loves, God loves the world, but these are people he actually like really spends quality time with, right? The, you know, like there's people that you just hang out with in general, and then there's people like on a Friday night when you just want to like make nachos that you call out, okay? These are nachos friends that Jesus has. And, and so, so this is someone, that, to Jesus, this is the guy you love, and and he is sick and he is going to die. And Jesus knows that he is going to die. And obviously the message is being sent to him because they know if Jesus comes, Jesus could heal him. That's, that's the reason why there's, this is, this is not, hey, Lazarus has the cough. This is, Lazarus is dying and we'd like you to come heal Lazarus. And Jesus' response to that, and this is the context, is that Jesus stays where he is at Two more days. And then takes the day-long journey. So it takes the messenger a day to get to Jesus. I'm just doing the math for you, because if you read this, you might be like, he stays two days, but Lazarus is dead four days. Right? Messenger comes, Lazarus dies. Day one, Jesus stays two more days, Jesus travels a day, four days, Lazarus dead. Okay? So, so Lazarus, thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you guys need some quick biblical interpretation there. So, so Jesus stays longer instead of rushing to meet the need and Lazarus dies by the time Jesus arrives and Lazarus is dead this is the response of those three times we get essentially the same response if you look with me in verse 21 32 and 37 Martha says Lord if you had been here my brother would not have died In 32, Mary says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 37, the Jews say, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind men have kept this man from dying? We know that Jesus was capable of keeping Lazarus from dying and keeping that heartache from happening. And yet, Jesus decided not to. So so why did Jesus not show up? And the question is answered in verse 4. We have the answer, but it needs to get unpacked a little bit. The answer in in verse 4 is this. This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Why did Jesus not show up and save the heartache? This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified in it. Is that a satisfying answer to us? Because first priority, because this is the answer, because first priority is God's glory. And that's point one, if you're following on your notes, is God's glory is the goal. So the whole goal of this story is God's glory. And so to un- unpack this and help us understand, help our hearts understand when, when right now in your life you might have something that is so um, pervading, so um, filling your field of vision, a heartache or a hurt, that when you hear can you see God's glory? Is God's glory of first importance? Nothing in you could say possibly yes to that. Okay, so we're going to unpack this. God's glory is the goal. First, I just want to define what is God's glory. Well, even before I, I dug deep into this, God, 
in his providence, sent me on a run with J.D. Kilmer on Friday morning at 6 a.m. And you might ask, how could a good God send someone at 6 a.m. on a run? That is a good question <laughs> for his glory, okay? Uh, so, so Jane and I were running on Friday morning, and, and we started talking about God's glory and and I'm not I'm going to plagiarize JD who plagiarized John Piper. Okay, so so really it's his fault, not mine. If if someone listens to this, so so what is God's glory? And there's there's three things we talked about. God's glory is seeing, savoring, and celebrating who God is. See, glory is the essential quality of someone. You just being a human being have a certain quality and a certain glory. You were made in the image of God. All of us have that quality and that glory. And we, we talk about that in when we talk about the sacredness of life. All life is sacred. Both the murderer and Mother Teresa, right? Both life is sacred because they were made in the image of God. So that is your quality and that is your glory. There's, and then if you live in such a way, it might give life to that glory if you live in righteousness and holiness and and really shine out that glory of who God made you to be. But your glory will never be compared to the quality of glory that God has. Because God alone is holy. God alone is God. And so when we see God and acknowledge who he is, we open the Bible and we read the stories of God, which, which begin giving us a sight of God, right? Just looking at him and valuing him. That's when we start savoring it, is we start meditating upon God. Not about even God in relationship to me, because that will even diminish the glory of God in your eyes if it's always, well, who's my superhero? Well, and oftentimes it's, he's only really super if he saves me at the right time. I'm not talking about God in relationship to you, I'm just talking God before you existed, before the world existed, before anything was created, God. See him. And then, and then savor him, because then we're invited into relationship with him. We're invited to, to contemplate his goodness, his justice, his mercy, his love. And in that savoring of God, then we celebrate him and we invite others into celebration of him. That, that is what is going on here, is, is Jesus is saying, no, it is for God's glory that the Son of Man may be glorified. He's going, I'm creating a scenario where you can see God. Because there's parts of you that are blind unless your eyes are open, unless something happens, you're going to be ignorant of who God is. So I want to create this context for you to see God and for you to start savoring his work, right? And then celebrating it, okay? And so God's creating that context because they haven't been there, okay? And God does this in many, many ways throughout our life. So God's goal is that we will see him. And then the question is, by letting Lazarus die, that's how you choose to do it, God? Right? How can that be loving? Right? We're asking the hard questions today. Right? How can that be loving? How can God get glory that way? And if you go back to verses 4 and 5, I, I want you to see what follows this. Verse 5. So, so God can get the glory. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus. That word, 
love there is important to note in context, which is not, it's not phileo, which is a friendship sort of love in Greek, phileo, means that, that love between friends. This is agape, which means the love uniquely that God alone can really show and express because it starts from Jesus and extends to them. It's a giving love that Jesus lived in such a way that he was expressing in his action of calling glory to himself, it was an expression of love to them. Well, how could that be? You let Lazarus die. Well, because it is, it is first priority that they see God's glory. That is him loving them, is showing them, giving them an opportunity to be exposed to the glory of God. That is, that is more loving than just him actualizing their storyline they have going on in their heads. Because oftentimes, this is how we do it. We go, God, my plan, you fulfill my plan. You're awesome, God. But that's, that's not calling glory to God. That's calling glory to you and your ingenuity. Right? When you think God is best, if he just does everything you want, you're going to miss out on the glory of God. And so God loves them. Jesus loves them by creating a scenario where they can be exposed to his glory and in the long run, celebrate it. And that happens through the death of Lazarus. One commentary said this, God's love for his own is not a pampering love, it is a perfecting love. The fact that he loves us and that we love him is no guarantee that we'll be sheltered from the problems and pains of life. After all, the love the father has for his own son is expressed in this way, by permitting the son to drink the cup of sorrow and experience the shame and pain of the cross. We must never think that love and suffering are incompatible. Let's get that. We must never think that love and suffering are incompatible. And yet that is why so many of us doubt God is because of the existence of suffering. But we must never ever think that, that suffering and love are incompatible. In 2 Corinthians four sixteen and 18, it says this, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory, Eternal glory that far outweighs all the troubles and all the suffering. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, not on what the challenges are around us, not the suffering. So we don't fix our eyes. We don't focus so much on those things that we're blind to everything else. We don't fix our eyes on those things. But we fix our eyes on what is unseen so that what is Because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So secondly, I I want to dig into the means God used for calling out his glory. And it was the means of death. If, If you're following along, point two is that death is the means to that suffering. And the reason why I wanted to spend time on this is that I don't want to build in anyone's mind a straw man. A strawman fallacy. And in philosophy, what that is, is is if you build up an argument that's really easy to break down, right? 
So if we're in a disagreement and I, I construct your argument as if it's like really weak and so I easily push it over, I'm going to show you um, exactly the trauma that they went through in God being shown to be glorious. And that is this. Jesus did let Lazarus die and he did not spare Mary and Martha from that pain. But I also want you to see that he did not spare himself from that pain. See, and this is a really important part. So we'll focus on Mary and Martha, which is they experienced pain, but he did not spare himself from the pain. We are often tempted when we see God calling glory to himself in these ways that God himself does not feel or God in some way cannot empathize with us. But what we find here, death being treated in a very realistic way. It's a way that we see God understands. And so I want to talk really quickly just about the emotional and the physical side of death and how that is experienced. And so if you come to uh, chapter 11, verse 33 to 36, we see Jesus himself walking through this suffering with, with Mary and Martha. 33, it says, <clears throat> when, Mary, um, when Jesus saw her weeping, 33, talking about Mary, it says, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. So that word deeply moved there, literally it's, it's anger. Jesus was angry about what he saw and troubled. And in verse 34, it says, where have you laid him, he asked. They say, come and see. And they replied, they replied, and it says here, Jesus wept. And then when the Jews saw this, they said, see how he loved him. And so the the emotion here, the emotion behind death is all present. We have Jesus experiencing anger, right? He was troubled. He, when he saw what, what sin had caused in the entry of death in the world, he wasn't like, don't worry, I got this. Jesus, on the, on the human level of emotion and seeing the pain it caused, was angry about it. Right, so when you have a friend who sees death and they get angry about it, don't be like, dude, you not have hope in Jesus? Jesus was there. Resurrection life was there. But he was angry about that. He was angry and troubled or distressed about that. That's incredible. How how terrible we are at comforting people sometimes because we try to like navigate their emotions rather than going, yeah. There there is in death the, the stealing of life, something that we can be angry at Jesus himself was we see him weeping, living in that sadness, not not cheaply overcoming it. Right? How often do we give terrible encouragement to people, trying to make them happier, cheer them up? When Jesus himself wept, didn't try moving past it, but he weeps for and with Mary and Martha. He weeps with them, sharing their grief, but he also weeps for them. I think he loved Mary and Martha so much that he also weeps seeing their grief. And he loves them. That's the response, right? See how much he loved Lazarus. 
So we, ha- we have a high priest, it says in Hebrews, who's not unable to sympathize with our weakness or sympathize with our pain, but he can because he shared it in every way. In terms of the physical death, which we see next, it's amazing. See, um, <clears throat> in, in cultures back then, they all, they all went through their burial ceremonies very differently, and a lot of that had to do with the way they viewed the afterlife. An example of that would be Egyptians embalmed people, right? Because they wanted to preserve life, thinking that in some way that, that preserved what they would be like or look like in the afterlife. It didn't, I mean, we've seen mummies. Hopefully, that's not what anyone looks like in the afterlife, right? Um, but but they, they tried holding on to that, right? Well, well Jews, right? We were created from the dust, and to dust we will return. And so they, they let the dead decompose, but they would wrap them up, as you see in Lazarus, and they would stuff them with, like, spices and other things trying to make them smell good. Because they knew that decomposing made people stank, right? And, and they knew that a lot of those tombs would have to be, like, opened up again to, to put more people in, and so you don't want all that stank when you open up the tomb again, this is like really simplifying burial rituals. But, <laughs> but that's what we also see when, when Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, and Mary and the other women go to, to put the spices on Jesus after he died. And they find that he's no longer there, right? That, that's just what's happening. And so they know that people stink after they've been dead for four days. And, and so they're, this isn't like one of those, like, like we're going we're gonna to make it so Jesus looks awesome. This is like, they're grieving, he's really dead, and he's going to stink, because they know that after four days, what happens? And, and maybe they didn't know all medically what was going, but literally what happens is that when you die, your heart stops. I think we all know that. But when your heart stops, your blood stops circulating, okay? And when your blood stops circulating, it all just kind of drops. It's just puddles, okay? Sorry, we're going to go there. And, and also, you don't have an immune system anymore, so bacteria just takes over, right? So all the viruses and sickness, whatever it is, the bacteria just takes over your body, and so you start literally, like, rotting. And this happens within three days. Rot has already started taking place. I have actually more notes. Just I don't want to go there with you about what a dead body looks like after four days. But what they knew is that when they opened up that tomb, there was going to be a gross-looking dead thing. Okay? And so, so they didn't want that to take place. And that's what you see, even after Martha, who knows that Jesus has been the res- is the resurrection and the life, after Jesus says, take the stone away, and Martha, in verse uh, 39, says, but Lord, by this time there is a bad odor. And so, so the fear of a bad odor is so strong that, that she's like, I don't know if we want to risk that. Okay? But, but in point three, we know that, that the ultimate finale, the ultimate finale is not death, but it is life. The ultimate finale is not death, it is life. And we see that here um, in, when Jesus interacts with, with Martha um, 
in verses 21 to 25, and in this, he completely transforms our view of what resurrection means. Completely elevates our view to see not just who God is, but who Jesus is. He, he helps us see, right? That's the first part of glorying in God, helps us to actually see. So look at this interaction. 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And so just verse 23 and 24, they're stating what the Jews already believe, that there will be a resurrection, that he will rise at the last day. And so this isn't new. This isn't transforming anyone's view of what resurrection is. But then what Jesus says next should blow us away. And it is this. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. What you knew as something far off has now come and is now present with you. You believed in the resurrection. You saw it as being something that would happen in the future, but it is happening and has happened today. I am the resurrection and the life. And what comes next could sound a little confusing, but really what it is, is it's, it's explaining resurrection and is explaining life. So this first line, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And that's, that's transforming our view of resurrection. So the one who believes in me will live even though they die. So he goes, you believed in the resurrection. I am the resurrection. The one who believes in me. So he's pointing to himself. Revealing and helping them see the glory of God. And, and what he says here is they will see the glory of God so that God's son might be glorified. And so this is glorifying Jesus as the one whom the resurrection will come through. But even beyond that, he shows what currently can happen because Jesus is at that moment the life. And whoever lives by me, who lives by believing in me, will never die. What does that mean? Well, Jesus isn't saying that, that you will, from that moment on, just never physically die because throughout the book of John, Jesus is also telling disciples they're going to die. Right? Different ways they're going to die. At the very end, he's talking with Peter, and he says how Peter exactly will pass away. So he's not saying physically you'll never die, but what he's saying is this. That God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. We know this. We know this story. Whoever believes in the son will not perish, but will have everlasting life. This is, this is the book of John. Jesus showing that he himself is the life. So what he's offering, we'll never, they will never die. Because Jesus is not just offering life to the fullness at this moment, but life to the fullness forever. That the trust you have in him is not something momentary and cannot be taken away. But the fullness you have here is a foretaste of what will be forever yours if you put your faith and the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. Amen? Because that's it. <laughs> All right? Like, take me home, Jesus. Like, like that, is, that is fully, Jesus, I am the resurrection and the life. And so what he creates here is this opportunity for them to see and savor Jesus Christ. 
To show them that without Jesus, there is no hope. That what all along the hope was that there would be a resurrection is now present in the person of Jesus. They've seen it lived in actuality in him. And then he proves that by declaring it with power by raising this dead man who's been dead for four days from the grave. And he does this in the most wildly impressive way. He just stops. Everyone's weeping. They, they love this man, Lazarus. And Jesus just says, take, take the stone away. Like there's no precursor to that. Jesus is just standing there. And he's like, do it! And, and, and they don't know what to do, right? Because they, they, they are, at this point, they've, they've grown courageous enough to, to like put their faith that he is the life. But then what does that really mean? And then Jesus is like, I'll show you what this means. Take the stone away. And they're like, okay, like we, we get you, but that's, gonna, that's a bad move, Jesus. And, and so what happens is they take the stone away. This is amazing. And Jesus just declares, Lazarus, come out. And here comes this guy, just wrapped in like toilet paper. <laughs> so the glory of God can be made known and be made manifest through him. How do we respond to this? Well, we won't all get to see Lazarus rise from the dead, but what the story is saying is significant for us all because all will rise. The very last point in our statement of faith is this, the statement of faith of the Refuge Church. We believe in the future bodily resurrection of all people all people, those who come into relationship with God through Jesus Christ because he is the resurrection and the life will experience eternity with God in a new heaven and a new earth. But those who reject a relationship with God, reject that statement of faith, believing in Jesus who is the resurrection and the life will be resurrected to an eternal separation from God along with Satan and his angels. This is a sobering truth that all will be raised. Some to eternal life and some to eternal damnation. And that is a very, very unpopular teaching. But let me tell you this. It is unpopular because God's glory is unpopular. It It is unpopular because we would rather have a superhero that showed up in the nick of time that saves us in our storylines than a God who welcomes us into his story. And his story is this. He created all things He sustains all things by the power of his word and he sent his word, Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life, that in him you can have life now and you can have life forevermore. So have you lost track of what is most important? Is it, is what most important God fulfilling your plans, having a life without suffering? Will you only be satisfied if God fulfills your idea of what is best? Or will you see God Will you savor God and will you celebrate him for who he is, the resurrection and the life? Pray with me. Oh God, we we need your mercy to treasure you, to make you and your glory all things to us. 
God, even in this short amount of time, I pray that this truth makes um, us comforted, not, not because we have a life without suffering, but in the suffering we experience and the suffering that we see happen, that we live in the context of you who are the resurrection and the life. God, may we show others, when we preach that peace, when we celebrate that peace. And may those who are here who have not put their faith in you and maybe fear what is to come, fear the resurrection rather than anticipate it, God, we pray that they will put their faith in you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. Amen.